1: Indeed, found no proscenium, the voice of everything immersive. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, and welcome to episode 408 of our ongoing exploration of the immersive cosmos. This week, an old-fashioned doubleheader as we check in on two very different events arriving in Southern California. First up, Carrie Lovelace. Founder of Visions 2030 will be on hand to talk about Earth Edition, a festival of eco-consciousness, which is unfolding on the campus of CalArts in Valencia right now and features some of the same tech that is being used in the sphere, which is about to launch in Las Vegas. Then, Sarah Mann of Madman's Playground and performer and poet Katie Rediger join us to talk about Van Helsing's Dracula, their upcoming collaboration here in the Southland, which mixes circus arts and dining and turns the Dracula story on its head. Environmentalism and vampires, we contain multitudes... On the site this week you'll find a whole lot including reports from the Edinburgh and Philadelphia Fringe Festivals, our latest immersive 5 which features guest Katie Rediger, and an updated call sheet. Now, EI this week is taking a break this week as we adjust to a new schedule, that that new schedule's my new schedule. More on that. At the end of this show. Uh, But we will be back next week. Along with what is going to be a pretty robust return of the review rundown. More from Edinburgh. And I'm sure a few surprises that I don't know about yet. Although hopefully not too many. Because I'm running out of time to do things. Uh, Hey. um, This is how it goes. And it goes because of our incredible Patreon backers. And this week we have one new backer to crow about. Tess housem who is bringing our current backer total up to 427 our goal for spooky season is to hit the 450 backer milestone we need 23 more backers this season at the five dollar level to make sure we keep the lights on and get a set to build bigger better and smarter in 2024 For those who have already gone to patreon.com slash no proscenium and shown your support, the best way to help is to share the podcast or one of the articles you found useful, like the call sheet, which lists professional opportunities and immersive on your social media platform of choice. We are always no proscenium, except on Insta and on Threads, which we are still on, where we are no underscore proscenium. You know where you won't find us anymore? X, because I'm done with it. As always, big thanks to our sustaining backers, Samuel Mustry, Chris Woolman, Samantha Davison, Eric Shamlin, Elaine, Daryl, John Bullett, Cameo Wood, Jay Bushman, Jerome Joseph Gentis, Kurt Collins, Winthorne, Ryan, David Bassick, Richard Ayers, Lonnie Hanson, Lekker LaCool, The Minister of Peculiarities, and Jan Budman. Hey, we're always on the lookout for community partners who are up for working out special deals for our backers. Hit me up at noahatnoprosidium.com for details. Now, I'm going to give you an audio program note here. And the order of the show is, first it's Carrie uh, talking about Earth Edition LA, and then it is Sarah and Katie talking about Van Helsing's Dracula. Uh, we actually recorded both of these interviews Uh, on Thursday, uh, which for me is today. And, and you might be listening to this on Friday. Uh, And for some reason we couldn't get our usual system in Zencaster to work for Carrie's interview. So we had to rely upon zoom. So the audio quality is not all it could be cracked up to be. It also meant that we had, before we started recording kind of a frustrating 10 minutes of trying to get everything to work. So, I'm a little off my game, and that made Carrie be a little off her game, but let me tell you, we get into it, and I'm really excited about what's going on on the campus, and it's a good conversation uh, once we kind of shake off the cobwebs of having to switch technological platforms. And that, my friends, is the reality of making a podcast in 2023. And now, without further ado... Let's get into the show. If you're listening to this The Week in the Episode Drops, and I do hope you are for this reason, if nothing else, Earth Edition, a festival of eco-consciousness, is getting underway on the campus of CalArts in Valencia, California. This is a 10-day-long event that seeks to counter the catastrophic storytelling surrounding the environmental crisis and foster imagination to envision and prototype new eco-outcomes. It will play host to live performances, workshops, site specific installations, immersive environments, and armchair conversations with over 50 artists and community based organizations. Joining us now is Carrie Lovelace, founder of Visions 2030, producers of the festival, and a CalArts alum and advisor to CalArts Center for New Performance. Carrie, thanks for taking a beat during the run up to the festival to talk with us.
2: Oh, Noah, thanks so much for having me here. I'm so excited to talk about this uh, event that we're staging at CalArts.
1: Yeah, so I came onto campus for the start of the year faculty meeting and school of theater orientation and I was greeted last week by the sight of three domes being built right next to the parking lot on the soccer field. I thought what is going on here? Carrie,
2: what is going on there? Well, we are staging um Earth Edition, a festival of eco-consciousness and it's a as you said a 10-day A festival that will uh, contain a a multitude of uh, experiences and immersive environments, its point being to shift consciousness around climate. So uh, I think it's it's
1: safe to say with the particular year we've been having, but also just the, the past five years worth of extreme weather events and fire seasons, that it's getting hard not to feel a sense of doom about the environment unless you're one of those people who's just completely ignoring what's going on around them, which I think a lot of people are. So what is the angle here with Visions 2030 with this idea of, of, of changing perspective, changing narrative around this this crisis where, that's, that's here that we're living in now?
2: Well, you know, we call it a festival of eco-optimism, and uh, I'm... The producer of the event is a initiative called uh, Visions 2030. And at Visions 2030, we are about using the uh, the creative imagination to create new models and new paradigms for society. And we ask, what do you want the future to look like? And we we believe that the imagination itself is something that can shift. uh, Consciousness is an agent for social change, for global change. And we we've done all sorts of like events and gatherings, you know, online, offline, uh, getting people to look toward the future. We're a future oriented or, uh, organiz- initiative, ourselves an organism. Um, and we were looking at climate, and you know, as you said, the, the you know, obviously there's something um, you know that has to be changed. There's you know, we're we're faced with all sorts of uh, you know dire circumstances, but. Uh, you know the the single narrative that we have is this rumbeat of people of negative data. So uh, you know, all we get is, um, you know, kind of fear-based uh, uh, facts. We get a lot of we get a lot of facts. We get a lot of information. you know, the purpose being to change uh, you know, to motivate us to action. But, you know, often we at the same time, we're noticing that, that events aren't changing that quickly and we wonder why. And our belief is that it may be because, um, you know, we never ask the question, what do we want to move towards? Like what are we trying to achieve? As a as a country, as a world, as a as a human species, we have done incredible things. You know, we, we fly in the air, we, you know, go to the moon, we cure diseases, and we actually have the tools and means. To solve the, the crisis that we're in, but we're not—we're not, we're not um, utilizing them, or, or we're not taking advantage of what we have. And so we were asking why, and using the ethos behind Visions 2030, what we b- believed was—we began to see was that we were wondering if the negative narrative itself was kind of, was creating a sense of overwhelm, c- creating a sense of uh, disempowerment, and kind of stopping people in their tracks. So, we were wondering what if we created a gathering where we presented solutions, where we showed people the amazing things that are out there that are happening? And what if we asked people themselves to imagine what is your ideal eco future? Where would you like to move? Because each one of us, in a way, would have a different image of what that eco future would be. So, that was the premise behind um, this event. Um, and then I, I would also say, you know, we were, you, you know, you, I know that you're interested in immersive environments, and to me, the idea of experience is so much more powerful than information. Information is important, but it's through, uh, through sens- sensory experiences, uh, through emotional experiences that I believe true and deep change happens. So we aim to create. Uh, a variety of types of immersive environments that are all over the campus of CalArts to lead people through, to, sh- to create a sense of possibility, but also to get them to imagine where do they want to move.
1: You have a lot of artists working on this project, uh, dozens, and there's there's filmmakers and, and activists. Like the list, it's all on the website and the list goes on pretty heavily. And I, got, I was coming down from the classroom I, I'm in these days, and uh, ran into one of the artists and we had a conversation about the installation he was putting, which was like, not, not quite like the farthest away from the dome you could possibly be, but pretty much on the other side of campus. So th- there's stuff kind of peppering all over. Did, did it was when gathering these artists, um, you know, are these works that are things that are already in existence? Is this material that you've commissioned with a, a particular, you know, kind of set of injunctions for creating experiences for Getting folks to interact, or was this uh, a process of curating, um, you know, interactive pieces that on the environment that you had already found out in the world?
2: Well, um, this event Earth Edition was put together by uh, members of the Initiative Visions twenty thirty. So it's a multi-nodal um, event. So different members of our team kind of curated or developed different aspects of our of, of this of this event of this festival. So we have a very talented curator, Vera Petacova, uh, who gathered together um, works artists that she identified, you know her um, her desire was to create an intersectional gathering of artists. but the whole idea, was artists who were dealing with solution-oriented work. There are a lot of artists doing kind of what you might call eco art that again is like you know painting a picture of the crises we face but these were artists that were were uh, the mandate was to find artists who are creating solution-oriented arts. We have all sorts of amazing people like uh, Lauren Bond who's kind of, you know, diverting the LA river to cleanse the water and to to deliver um, clean water to, you know, uh, all areas of LA. We have um, Ruben Ochoa, who's organized food carts all over LA vendors. Um, We've got Betty Beaumont, who's worked in the world of the field of eco art for many, many years. We've got the members of Crenshaw Dairy Mart who are building something called the Abolition Pod, which is uh, a space for healing and for mental health cleansing. They they weren't able to build a pod there, but there are kind of plans of things that they're uh, they're going to they plan to do all over the country of these spaces for uh, people to gather and. You know, and a safe space to gather. The space itself has plants by local growers in the LA area. So there's all sorts of different types of artists um, doing installations, both uh, site specific installations on the campus around CalArts, but also in galleries inside the um, CalArts structure.
1: What is giving you hope in? the eco space right now um, be, to kind of come back to that theme of it feels like you know the prevailing sense of doom is dominating the conversation and i and i know the festival is designed to to to, to cut against that current but what what points are are you seeing uh, that that maybe those of us who are you know looking through the the glass darkly aren't seeing
2: well, I mean, I think in any phenomenon in life, in any event in life, you know, life is complex. So there's always, you know, difficult things and there's always positive things. So, and the point is for us in the, the world of climate is how do you make change? How do you bring change? And my, in my experience, you bring change when you have hope and a sense of direction and a sense you want to aim towards. So you can take any, like, event and say, oh, my God, everything's falling apart. But that's not really very, it can be motivating, you know, sometimes, like, you know, the house is on fire, let's get out of the house. But it also can be disempowering when it feels so overwhelming. So it's not a question of, like, um, you know, what gives you hope, but it's a question of empowering people to find hope. So I would just say in terms of hope, you know, there are discoveries happening, all around us that as i said can could, could you know clear the air clear the water they could create sustainable communities they could create equitable um equitable uh, an equitable society and there are people working on that everywhere it's a question of seeing that bring those people together and, um, and getting people to believe as a force that we can move forward, like, you know, the in the 60s, I was having to be around in the 60s. And there was, you know, you could see the force of collective action, like how powerful that is. And, you know, I feel sometimes that, that, uh, you know, we're in, we're in such a capitalistic I, you know, time in so many ways, I think there's something really powerful about, about capitalism, but it also can create, you know, I, I think that capitalism profits in some ways off of fear and anxiety. And I feel like sometimes we're victim to being manipulated by a negative, you know, narrative that's. That's fed to us because it, you know, creates clicks on social media. So I feel like I want to, you know, spread the word of, you know, like free yourself of that and see what the world really is, which is full of hope. I think a
1: lot about the the tenor of the culture and and how it's changed, and particularly around environmental issues, uh and and Sometimes I feel and, and 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 I love your perspective on this. Sometimes I feel like, I guess, where I'm sitting right now, like I'm I'm going to be uh, fifty in a couple of years. Uh, something I don't like to say uh, for all kinds of reasons, but that's true. It's, we're going to be and and I remember being, uh, you know, middle school or or you know, late elementary, and and being aware of Al Gore being sort of for a hot second, sort of the face of the environmental movement and uh you know that 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 period happened both before he was vice president and like after he had you know after you know 2000 happened um with an inconvenient truth and and it felt like you know in the 80s when I was a kid it, it felt like there was this moment that maybe that was when we could have done something and 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 then like a swing and a miss and and just the way in which there have been these kind of like rhythms back and forth of like people coming together to create change and then sort of the system of, of profit, you know, kind of pushing back against that and be like, oh no, we're going to make some money here. So you, you can you can only change so much or putting the the onus on you know people to take individual action when systemic change is kind of the thing that's going to have the, the the broader impact. Is that how you read the room? Or, or you read, read the read the the state of things from a different angle, uh, from from a maybe a wider perspective, having seen how things were in the in the 60s. Like I think sometimes people my age can romanticize that era and think that things moved a lot quicker and that the that the social change movements had a faster impact than than maybe they
2: did. Well, I mean, I, I just want to go back to uh, well. I um, there's a lot of questions in there.
1: <laughs> yeah, sorry, it's, it's it's a lot.
2: It's kind of this. Um, it's this. I say, to say, right? You know, I think.
1: Yeah,
2: I mean, I think the thing. I, I think the thing. The sixties were were a romantic time. There was a lot of change that happened fast, and then people thought the change had happened, and then mm. they went went to you know to make money and stuff like that. And what we learned was. You know, you have to keep working at change. It's it's like, um, you know, mm-hmm. what the arc the arc of uh, the well, well, now the, the, the arc of
1: the universe bends towards justice, right? But that but doesn't is long you know, is long, long but it bends, right?
2: But it bends, yeah. and the is long part is really the, mm. the the key part because what we didn't realize in the sixties was just that you it it may come quickly, but then you have to keep working at it. But I I feel like Um, You know, I think the thing that's important to talk about is that we can make change at any time, like we collectively can make change right this second. And it's just a question of like believing that and working together to do that. And I think what's really powerful to me about this festival, I was just, you know, I want to talk a little bit about the Lumisphere, which are the domes that you saw, the green domes that are on the soccer field. I mean, the point of that, we worked with this amazing team called Minds Over Matter, and they uh, specialize in immersive projections. Uh, they've done projections on the Vatican, on the Empire State Building. They sold their uh, inner software to MSG during this immense $2 billion dome in, in Las Vegas, and we, we collaborated oh. with them to create this environment this immersive environment that leads you it's almost like a guided meditation but it's it's visual sort of to to dream your ideal eco future and then in a there's so in the first stone you're oriented about where we are the challenges we face and there's kind of a big glowing um kind of campfire like globe structure that sort of talks about you know, our challenges, but then our possibilities, then you move into a second dome, which is a huge immersive uh, sphere where you lean back and you're just surrounded by like this, just uh powerful Im- abstract imagery that takes you on a journey, takes you, kind of blasts you off into the universe and gets you into your imagination to dream your particular ideal uh, eco-future. And then in a and it is it's like an opium den without the opium it's like kind of amazing and then in the third dome through AI you are you with a tablet you translate your ideal eco future into this huge LED image um, through a series of prompts uh, you kind of like put in the prompts and then your ideal eco future as a visual image is rendered on these screens that are there in a gallery and that you actually have on your phone. So it's from, um, you know, your dream into seeing it physically and that in itself, it opens up people's hearts. I mean, it's amazing to see the mayor of Santa Clarita came and he was like, you know, kind of, Oh yes, yes, yes. yes." And by the end, when we were in the gallery doing these, these, uh, LED, um, Images with uh, with these tablets, he was just you know amazed because it's like we we have so much inside of us with our imagination, and it's the imagination that does you know create you know rocket ships and you know solutions, scientific solutions. So it opens people up to those possibilities. And then there's after these domes, if you want to, there's a another structure called the mentoring tent where if you wanna find out how to take your eco dreams and translate them into reality, you can go there and meet with a guide who will you know, sit with you, uh, ask you what you experienced in the dream domes and then help you develop action steps. And there's a database there for you to trace through resources you can hook up with. There are field experts there you can consult with to see if they have. They can help you, guide you on your way. There are armchair chats with, you know, Karen is one of the people who's going to be beaming in to talk with us, but all sorts of the Sierra Club, like all sorts of uh, people from... Um, you know all over particularly southern california but all over the country kind of there to show you different options if you want to take action this is the way to go and then a way to hook up with other people who share similar interests so in that way i feel like uh it's a way of joining with others with similar interests and of opening up your sense of possibilities and your own sense of you know the way you in particular can make a difference and the direction that you in particular can move.
1: I love this idea and, and the, the, how this execution sounds of of getting folks into a state where they're engaging with their imagination. They're 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 engaging with the ability to sort of you know, touch upon possibilities that maybe they like have set aside or haven't thought of in a while. That there's something in being built to sort of bring that forth from within them and then there's a place to land to actualize it so that what has been in, inspired and incepted doesn't just then just kind of float off into the ether that there's that there's a next exactly. step
2: that there's a next um, step because because often with climate we're given this you know terrible news but then we that's then there's no like well what do you do you know what i mean like build a bunker i mean there's never you're never given yeah, so. Yeah, the, the steps to take, you know, like, we're, okay, you know, like get a rowboat. I mean, I don't know. So, I mean, and that's what we want to give people is is, is the steps to, to take for the, you know, the future.
1: Kerry, it already from the outside looks tremendous. Knowing what's going on on the inside, it sounds tremendous. And what's great is that folks have 10 days if they're here in the Southland to make their way up and check it out and maybe uh, – get their perspective on what's happening in the environment uh realigned uh here uh and to start thinking about the future in a different way so
2: can i can i just yeah. add a couple of things that we did not talk about cuz there's also oh, sure. there's also an eco expo there where you can see different innovations and um Advances like, uh, you know, on the ground grassroots advances that people are are doing to also awaken your imagination. Uh, there's a sustainable sound stage with cool DJs and bands playing. There's a Zukunft garden, a garden of the future, a tech garden of the future that's based on the the um the new trend of solar punk which is the opposite of cyberpunk cyberpunk is dystopian and negative solar punk is like what if tech and nature could combine to create a really positive future and then there's even family activities like goat yoga there so there's just it's like hold on sorry you said did
1: you say did you say goat yoga
2: i did say goat yoga so if you want to come and hang out with a goat and uh see, you know, uh, see another way of relating to nature. There it is. Um, there are all sorts of different family possibilities there. So you can bring your kids and really have a fantastic time.
1: Uh, and, and that was not, that was not a, uh, a condemning, uh, noting of the goat yoga. I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't, uh, who exactly. was no, saying no. goat yes. yoga. Yeah. It was goat like yoga. I was I was walking I was walking down the street yesterday. I had just turned the corner in Burbank off of a off of a Christmas ad shoot so they had completely decked out a house for Christmas. That was absurd enough and I turned the corner and then there was a tortoise, a very large tortoise <laughs> just kind of making a beeline for me as soon as he saw me and for a hot second I said to myself, am I hallucinating? I know. <laughs> and I wasn't. Someone's pet tortoise, 15 yeah. years old and huge. Wow. Wow, uh, and uh, I think he thought I was broccoli for a second, which is why he's yeah. had <laughs> great alacrity. Uh, I think the tortoise was hallucinating. Um, yeah. uh, so there, somebody was. It, it turns out right. it wasn't me. Um, but it's it's wonderful. This is happening. Uh, I'm very excited. I'm glad I get to to, to duck into it. Uh, yeah. And I hope everyone uh, who's here in the Southland uh, who listening to the show uh, takes a beat and heads on up uh, and, and checks out what's over there uh, right off uh, the McBean Parkway exit in, in, uh, in Valencia, Santa Clarita. Just get off of McBean Parkway, take a right and take a right and you're there. Uh, you're right there where the domes are. So, Carrie, thanks for, for taking the time to speak with me. Thanks today.
2: so much, Noah. It's been great. All right. and, and come on down.
1: Joining us now are Katie Rediger and Sarah Mann, the directors of the upcoming Van Helsing's Dracula from Madman's Playground here in Los Angeles, billed as a poetically sapphic interpretation of the gothic story Dracula with a three course meal. Katie, Welcome to the show.
0: Hi, Noah. Thank you for having me.
1: And Sarah, happy spooky season.
0: Happy spooky season to you too, Noah.
1: All right, let's start with the basics. Sarah, your company, Madman's Playground, is a circus arts dinner theater. So, how does that shape Van Helsing's Dracula?
3: Yeah, so I myself am, have the background of a circus performer and dancer and decided I wanted to create a circus experience in Los Angeles that is not your typical circus experience. Um, I wanted it to be a fully produced show with a narrative that was then told through Circus Arts. So I reached out to Katie initially years ago at this point um, to see if she would be interested in creating a vampire circus story with me. And not sure how I was going to feature her, but wanted her to be essentially the host of the evening. Um, And as we started to kind of spin ideas around and talk about it, we decided to bring our friend Corinne Evans on board. And then I decided, I was like, all right, it's going to be a Dracula story. So where do we go from here? Katie, who do we think you should be in the story? Are you just... A bystander? Are you just telling the story, um, or are you actually a character in it? And as we started to, you know, develop the idea and the three of us having multiple conversations, decided Katie would be Van Helsing and she would be recounting her experience with the Countess Dracula. So we decided to make it um, a female lead show, and then as Katie and Corinne further developed the storyline, decided to make it an entirely female cast circus show, which is rare in the circus world to see a full female circus. Um, and so just you know, looking at the story as the, the base and how do we use circus to portray what is happening in Katie's narration, um, to make sure that the story comes through. So that's kind of how that came to be.
1: So Katie, along with being familiar to those in LA who've seen Spy Brunch's immersive safe house shows, you were, you were in both of those. Uh, another of your aspects is poet and performance artist. Which aspects of you are showing up here in Van Helsing's Dracula? Oh,
0: Um, both actually (laughs) um i am i'm really excited about this project in particular because this is this is kind of um this is like not kind of this is definitely the first time that my poetry is going to be showcased and fully acted out by myself also on stage in in a theatrical play kind of setting um the dialogue for the show is entirely written in my poetic verse, and my character um, is essentially the only character that um, will be speaking for this show. So Van Helsing is the audience's way into the story for this, and um, as Sarah were saying, like the host of The Evening. Um, we're kind of taking the audience on this journey with Van Helsing through um through my poetry, which is so so exciting and terrifying for me, but I really can't wait to share it.
1: Now, with Circus and and Dinner Theater and, and some of the visuals and, and the video I've seen of, of the show as it's in development, there's there's a lot of spectacle going on here. How are, But I also know, Katie. I know from your experience working in immersive and and some of the performance art you've done, you're, you're definitely aware of the the magic circle mm-hmm. effect and and what happens when you start to bring the audience into the world of the show. Yeah. So, uh, you know, how are you incorporating this? Because it, it can be tough with, particularly with the, the dinner format. Uh, to, to make the world kind of permeable because that yeah. balance between people are eating
0: <laughs> and yeah. then there's
1: like performance going on, but like actually being in the world. So how, how are you meeting that challenge?
0: Yeah. So it's interesting um, to go back to say, like safe house 77 and, and that experience where we did have also people eating in the audience coming in and eating in that show as well. Um, but in a, in a, in a, different setting, a more casual setting, not so much a formal dinner setting Um, we, we're really trying to make the audience feel like they've been invited to this special event. Um, not that they're just coming to see a show, but they've been invited to this very special event where they are going to be, um, serenaded (laughs) for the evening and they get to, they get to eat as well. We are breaking up, um, the dinner service and the actual scene work. Um, so there will be d- dinner service won't necessarily be happening in the middle of a scene. You're not going to be missing, um, a scene because dinner is being served. Um, but. Oh,
1: uh, oh good. Or, or the reverse trying to, trying to chew something and have someone emote directly in your face, which I've had happen a couple of times. And yeah. I'm like,
0: this doesn't we'll go have... well together. Yeah. <laughs> it can get yeah. To be a little bit much.
1: Yeah, this filet mignon and your monologue are not well paired. Perhaps you could try (laughs) some wine instead. You're
0: Um, definitely giving people some room to breathe and some room to eat. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Sarah, you were just about to say something.
3: Oh, no, you're good. Um, Yeah, kind of bouncing off what Katie was saying is, you know, we're definitely trying to set it up as the audience has been invited by Van Helsing to this dinner event. Um, And so Van Helsing. You know, we'll be interacting with the audience throughout the duration of the show, speaking specifically to certain audience members. Um, And then Katie and I met doing the Toledo show, um, which is a show where the performers move around the audience the entire time, primarily. (laughs) Um, And so we're taking that form as well, kind of like at a traditional circus where the clowns would be in the audience kind of messing with people, our clowns. For lack of a a better word for them, Dracula's harem are going to be moving through the audience throughout the show. Dracula will be moving through the audience throughout the show. Um, So, simultaneously, while yes, there is this dinner service, like Katie said, the acts are the scenes are broken up into acts, the dinner service will take place between the acts, and you'll have that chance to, you know, enjoy this three course Romanian style cuisine. As if you are in, you know, the world of Dracula. Um, and so yeah, there's there's various ways that we're incorporating the immersive component, even
0: though it is a sit down meal. It's very much um, a sensory experience, and one of the things that I love about immersive and what I've experienced in what I've performed and also what I've gone to see is that there's so many varying degrees of immersion that can happen, right? And, um, with this show, it, it is, it is immersive. We're not necessarily going to give the audience as much agency as, you know, to stand up and get on stage and really get into the scene work per se with us, but they are brought into the world, acknowledged within the world. And they're an integral part of, of the story and the culmination of the story as well.
1: I love that you can identify with specificity where you've dialed the audience in on there. Um, because there is a range of agency that can happen in immersive shows. But if you've if you've so long as you've done the homework of casting the audience and you know who they are in the world, then it gets a lot easier to take them on whatever particular form of journey it might be. Um and and that's yeah, just I'm I'm not everyone comes onto the show and is able to articulate it cleanly. So like, I'm just like, and I'm in the middle of like teaching this stuff for the first time to like students. So it's like really on my mind about like who, who's got the language and who doesn't, you know, out out there in, in the wide uh, immersive verse. Um, something that I haven't caught um I want to, I will at some point. It's like, it's almost bucketless bucket list for me at this point. And something Sarah that you mentioned, and that's where you and Katie met is the, the Toledo show. And I've, I've caught clips on Insta for years now. So I, I've got a bit of a sense of, of what it is, but for those who haven't uh, even done that much, uh, could you give a sense of, of what the vibe is and particularly how that might echo a bit in what you're doing here?
3: Oh, that is a tough question. The Toledo show is a very hard thing to explain. I will give it my best shot. Um, So Toledo is, his background is as a dancer, but he has transitioned into a singer storyteller. Um, The majority of his show comes from a space of improvisation where the musicians are improvising. He is storytelling kind of t- in the form of Tom Waits um where part of it is kind of spoken storytelling sing sung some of it has melody some of it's more just like this raspy smoker's voice um and then the dames as he calls them his dancers performers are acting out whatever the story is that he's telling. Um, And that is also improv based because nobody knows what's going to happen until the song starts. Um, So I joined the show as a dancer. Katie came in as a poet um, and she does some dancing as well when she's doing her performance art with him. Um, But it's a really amazing space artistically. I think it's, it's a little daunting when you first join the show, but as you start to kind of find your footing, the ability to sort of improv on the spot not knowing what song you're getting not knowing who else is performing with you um what's going to happen in the space and because you know there's a few different versions of the show but we're instructed to kind of move throughout the space and if there's an audience member like lay on them who cares they're there um you know, interact with them, use them as part of your, you know, speak directly to them. And Katie's, you know, when Katie's doing her art, she, you know, pinpoints people in the audience to direct the words to. As a dancer, you figure out, okay, who can I dance on? Who can I, you know, grab their face as I'm (laughs) moving? Um, You know, we're not going to be quite as up close and personal with Van Helsing's Dracula, because it's a new format, trying to kind of, get our footing but it's it the Toledo show is something that's it's very hard to explain you do kind of have to experience it it's a little jazzy sometimes it's funky sometimes it's really just melodic and twinkly for lack of a better word um I don't know Katie do you have any other thing you could add to that?
0: Yeah, I mean, Toledo also because it's so heavily improv based. He also will, you know, see people in the audience that he wants to make the song about right now, and and brings audience members into it in that way sometimes too, which is, which is really cool. Um, yeah, true. Yeah, <laughs> he's like he's a magnifier of of, uh, of of really interesting artistic people. I I joined that show in 2017 with my poetry, like Sarah said. And I, I didn't really know uh, what my artistic voice was at that point in time. I, I went to Cal Arts. I was uh, an actor, and I, I didn't know um, that the poetry I had been writing all my life was something that I could make into an experience for other people—a live show. And I really developed my voice on that stage, um, which which was great over several several years i had the opportunity to to do that to workshop to workshop my my now artistic identity on that stage and now it's getting a chance to like be completely fully realized in van helsing's dracula as both my poetic artistic self and my actor artistic self i'm getting to morph both of those things into this and this incredible Um, show to share with other people and give them an experience that hopefully um, they'll remember forever.
3: (laughs) Yeah. I think that's a good point, Katie, because I definitely, you know, I saw you as a poet with Toledo Mm -hmm. show way before I ever saw you as an actress with safe house 77. Yeah. And, you know, I obviously approached you to work on this show because of your poetry and because of the performer that i'd seen you be with toledo and then to see what you could do outside of that with Safe House 77 or with any of the other kind of immersive stuff i've seen you do is it's cool to be able to have the opportunity to have your words shape an immersive show you know something i've been thinking about for a long time so it's cool to be able to showcase that
1: why vampires why dracula
3: (laughs) Because they're sexy. Uh, (laughs) um, Yeah. So I think so my similar to Katie's journey of like finding her artistic voice, I think I truly found my artistic voice through Toledo, um, which is a more sensual show. Um, And I really liked the idea of having kind of an adult circus show and so, when I was trying to figure out, like, what would this first thing be? Um, you know, I was reading all sorts of stories and watching all sorts of movies and shows and just kind of looking everywhere that I could for inspiration. And I came across the BBC three part Dracula show. Um, and when I saw this BBC three parter, they had Van Helsing was a nun. And it was the first time I'd ever seen Van Helsing depicted Mm. as a female. Um, And Dracula is a shapeshifter. And so it naturally kind of made sense to me to have Dracula be this aerial contortionist sort of able to do multiple things as a circus performer. Um, And I just loved the idea of having a female van helsing and a female dracula because i haven't seen it done before and at the time when i approached katie i said i think i know what our show's gonna be i said i think it's gonna be dracula and she at the time goes oh my god i'm writing vampire poetry like it was this just perfect moment of she was in a vampire space and i was inspired by this bbc three-parter and i said vampires are sexy like why not make this kind of sensual Dracula show. <laughs> and that's how that came to be.
0: Yeah, I am um, I'm a horror lover myself. <laughs> and also have just always kind of had a thing for vampires and yeah, I was I was quite literally in the middle of writing a poem that was inspired by um some sort of sexy vampire um <laughs> interaction. <laughs> and so it was really serendipitous. It was it was just it was perfect timing. And I was already in that mindset. I already had those kinds of creative juices flowing and, and we just got, we got to work.
1: This is making me want to ask both of you, if you've caught up with uh, the AMC version of interview uh, that was running last year. I did. And I think maybe isn't, maybe it's even in its second season right now. Cause I, 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 I only fell off by accident. I think it's cause I was like watching it through like spectrum and not AMC proper. But Katie, you said you did.
0: Yeah, I I definitely want, my my boyfriend and I binged that show. <laughs> it was really good. I actually I actually really enjoyed um the remake. I I was I was into it. Um I don't actually know if the next season is out myself either. I don't have AMC anymore. We literally got AMC just to watch that show.
1: (laughs) (laughs) They they moved over to Max, but I dropped Max after Secession because they started calling it Max and they didn't call it HBO Max anymore. I refused to own, buy something called Max. (laughs) Uh, I was just like, no, you can't make me. Uh, Although there's a bunch of stuff on there that I do want to watch. It's getting a little frustrating. But that, yeah, I was, I, having been someone who like, I read like the first couple of books and who was like really, really into vampires in the nineties. Like that was, that was core part of my identity. Like I was so happy with what they did with that show because it was, it was, it was fun for them to take it as like, we're going to reinvent this. We're gonna, we're going to question the narrative. And then he also got freaking Eric Bogosian like in there. And I'm just like, <laughs> oh, what, what? Um, So yeah, glad to see it. And, and that was Noah's vampire moment. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone Um,
3: has one. Everyone has a vampire moment. So, oh
1: yeah, (laughs) there's like, I was, so I used to, I used to think, I, I don't think I think this anymore, but maybe, maybe it is starting to happen again. Actually, you know what? I think it's happening again. And maybe it's happening in AMC that, that there was a natural cycle, uh, of our culture was, was the eternal, uh switching of roles uh, in, in in dominance in in pop culture between uh, vampires and zombies as to which type of undead were we focusing on and and vampires had their ascendance in like from like the mid 80s deep into the 90s and then kind of like zombies came back around at the turn of of the the century and then just kind of like held on for so long yes, you're right. and and I was annoyed because like I'm much more of a vampire person, but I also think it like speaks to what, what cultural anxieties we're, we're, we're manifesting, right? Like yes. there, vampires are really ascendant, particularly during the AIDS crisis because of all of our anxiety around sex, all of our, 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 all, and then there was also, you know, a lot of stuff about class consciousness gets roped into vampires and you know, the, the wall street, you know, blood sucking, you know, you know, Brooks brothers suits guys, like Mm -hmm. all of that was there. Uh, And so the vampire was everything for, for that, for Gen X at that point in time. And then, yeah zombies man There was just too many zombies for too long but it feels like vampires are making their comeback so
0: it really oh, it does. Definitely I mean, does it really does and i feel like like when we like two years ago when we first started throwing this idea around maybe not as much but then all of a sudden i'm like the closer we get to the show the more and more i see dracula vampire dracula like just everywhere there's it's popping up everywhere right now and I'm like what is, what is this energy this like surging energy around vampires that's all of a sudden happening like right around the time that we're like getting ready to launch this show it's pretty cool yeah, yeah. i
1: think it's I think it's more than what just you noticing it because you're primed to see vampires as you're doing the show like I do think there's something culturally happening mm-hmm. um which I'm grateful for as someone who likes vampires more than you like zombies
3: absolutely
1: But, but <laughs> Also, in that I do feel it is linked to these these specific kind of cultural subconscious stirrings about where are our anxieties what are we concerned about and and our and and that in the back of our brains we're working on it yes. and, and that 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 dual thing of like infection mm-hmm. uh and uh and and p- class power and and so yeah I don't know um, sorry. Just,
0: no, <laughs> not at all.
2: Don't
1: be sorry. Oh, do yeah. That's a great Don't, point. Yeah. I just I can I I some people know I can talk about vampires like all day. It's uh, <laughs> it's almost a disturbing trait. Um and particularly I can do it all day. What does that mean that I can talk about them all day and not all night? No um no,
0: anyway. Uh, uh, we should fix so <laughs>
1: Oh, come uh, to the show. We'll is, stick that, was that an offer? Uh, I don't know if I'm ready for that. Uh, anyway, uh, we'll negotiate <laughs> later. Um, so, okay, speaking of the show, uh, when I got to dismount before I lose my immortal soul here. So, uh, where, <laughs> where, when, how? Uh, but we all know why vampires. Uh, where, when, how uh, with Van Helsing's Dracula, for those
0: listening at home? Kate, do you yeah.
3: want to answer that one?
0: We are opening October 21st in Van Nuys at the Vatican Banquet Hall. Um, our tickets are already on sale right now on Eventbrite. You can also go to www.madmansplayground.com and um, purchase tickets through the link in the website as well. Sarah, uh, if there's anything else that I missed yeah. that you want to add to it?
3: No, I think you. I think you got it all. We have a four-night run. Yeah, taking a break over Halloween to let all of the other Halloween stuff happen. And then we'll be back the first three weekends of November. So if you miss the first one, you get to extend your Halloween experience into November.
1: (laughs) Fantastic. All right. Well, Katie and Sarah, thank you so much for joining me on the show this week. And uh, looking forward to seeing it all come together.
0: Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for having
1: us. Once again, I want to thank Carrie and Sarah and Katie for being our guests on the show this week. Check the show notes for the relevant links to their work. Uh, you can find some other stuff in the show notes uh, a link to the call sheet Uh, there's a fun listing in there right now Uh, the speakeasy society here in Southern California has announced casting for a new project that's going to be down in Costa Mesa this winter Uh, so give a gander to that speaking of winter because you know it's the beginning of spooky season so it's time to think about Christmas Uh, Camp Christmas is coming back in Denver Uh, so uh, if you were uh, wondering what you should be doing uh, during the holidays uh maybe uh, swing through denver and check out camp christmas uh as it returns uh always always happy to see alani and company uh back at it uh year after year um this week did see me skip uh everything immersive this week i fell behind the count uh because of uh the class um as i mentioned in the interview with carrie uh, it was uh, just over a week ago that we had a faculty meeting and orientation uh, for the students up at Calarts. I'm I'm a professor now. Um, I I only say that because one of the students wrote in, Professor Nelson, and I'm just like, okay, well it's happened now. I've 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 crossed that threshold, and uh, this fall is going to be there's probably going to be a few more disruptions in this schedule. Hopefully not for the podcast. I try to, I try to, I feel like obsessively compelled to get the podcast out, but there are a number of things going on. So one, uh, this Cal arts class and what's, what's kind of, what's really cool is like, as I try to distill all this stuff down, uh, To communicate, not with not with students who are uninformed, like that was one of the rad things was that some of the students had seen shows that I thought like no one else had saw. Um, so there's like, yeah, fringe 2019, I saw this thing or 2018 and I was like, like, no one saw that. Uh, and that was, that was absolutely rad. So there's, there's a common language there. Uh, but part of the, the job is to, you know, uh, give this all some structure and that's, that's making me look at things differently uh to try to communicate it in a different way and you're going to see some of that get reflected here in the show and i think that's going to start um it's gonna it's gonna be a good thing for all of us uh but i'm also a, in addition to the class every week i'm doing like a fair amount of travel suddenly um so at the end of this month uh lucid immersive in singapore is bringing me out to talk at the Lucid Immersive Summit. and That's on the 29th of September. I leave on the 27th. <laughs> uh, it takes that long to get there. Um, and uh, and then there's the whole like international dateline thing. Um, Melinda Lau uh, is is one of the creatives over there uh, and uh, of Whisper Lodge. You know our 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 friends. Uh, and uh, this is this is going to be a really exciting trip. There's a lot of there's a lot of cool folks on the docket. Uh, and uh, I get to get to a chance to see uh, a team lab for the first time, which is very exciting. And I'm also in this in this weird state of, you know, constantly having to shill for the Patreon for the podcast to keep my life going, <laughs> literally, because it's like it's getting every month now is a crunch. It's very stressful. Uh, and at the same time, people are like flying me. Halfway across the planet, uh, it's really weird. So, as I do this travel, maybe or as I'm teaching the class, some people might go like, "Ah, oh, no, it's gonna made, We can just drop the Patreon." Mm, no, if anything, it's getting more complicated and difficult, and 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 both awesome and scarier all at the same time. Uh, I'm putting together a, a talk there. Um, obviously, that's why they're bringing me right. And that too is again, interesting to start distilling down kind of where we are right now. Cause I think it's really easy to look at some of the projects and I think we're going to have like a team speak conversation about this, but it's easy to look at all the projects that are closing that are like these big swings and just get aggressively negative about the state of things. And I'm, I feel like I'm already like, past that point. Like I was depressed like six months ago about that. Um, And now I'm like, oh yeah, you know, cost of doing business uh, a little bit, but also there's, there's a degree to which, you know, there's, there's assumptions about what the world wants or what the market will bear or what stories we need right now, what experiences we need right now. And, those things don't aren't always all aligned with each other, um, and we're still in this space. I, I this this is the thing. This is the thing that's that's ironic to me. As I'm seeing folks in other parts of the entertainment industry, other parts of the arts infrastructure, um, also freak out about the way things are at the moment, and and that so much is not working. I. I am reminded and I think I talked about this maybe a little bit last week or talked about it with somebody, um, you know, reminded of the fact that we have gone through this profound change as a society that, that honestly, we, we don't really acknowledge, right? Like we're very good at ignoring the changes that the pandemic has wrought, that the losses that it's created and, and the, the different weights uh, that it, puts into our decision making on, on a day-to-day basis. And the one thing I do know is that people need to connect with each other still and not electronically. And they seek that out. They risk sometimes everything for it. And there is there are few things more rewarding. Um one of those things that is equally rewarding is getting a good book and a cup of coffee and going away from everybody and having nothing but the squirrels and the birds as your friends. But aside from needing that part of yourselves filled as well, this drive to connect, this drive to have a place to do so uh, is increasingly what the core value of this work uh, appears to be to me. Um, And connection that is not just mundane but is novel unique is is a peak experience or is uh something that feels like getting to see on on the other side of the veil uh something about novel about the way the world works those are some generic words sorry this rant is uh, is kind of petering on a bit it remains all of this remains this this glorious mystery and 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 that's what's great about it this is something i was thinking about last night Mm -hmm. as as i I get into you know what i'm going to talk to folks in singapore about you know as as we professionalize as investment money comes in as folks look to turn what they do into you know businesses that can be replicated we need to remember that experience is not product, that it will not be commodified, that attempts to commodify it cut directly against the grain of what makes it valuable. Um, this is about creating unique moments in time. You can create a really good machine at making those right a process that creates that then you're doing it right But that's different from making something that's just going to cookie cutter stamp out the same product over and over and over again so gonna be gonna be Meditating on that for for a bit as that coalesces into something. Uh, I got all of a week before I got to deliver the PowerPoint. So uh, along with uh, the assignments, I got to devise and uh, the articles I got to write and the, the 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 admin endless endless admin for everything and everyone. All right, uh, I'm doing this Friday morning. I haven't had a coffee yet. I'm going to go uh, do that. Sorry, I just scratched the mic. Uh, I'm not going to retake that, so apologies. Uh, let's do the end of the show. Uh, the associate producer of this podcast is Parker Sella. Music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society and Solar the Podcast. Special thanks to Shyvana Laughlin for voice your intro. Uh, the No Pro Podcast uh, is my fault. I'm no Nelson. And until next time, I'll see you at the show.